Hi there, it's Dr. East and I am here with Dr. Belinda Anderson and we have so much awesome information to share with you today. We're just gonna jump right in. We're gonna jump right in and start off with the idea that research is really important for the success of your practice. What do you guys think about that? Dr. Anderson, Belinda or Bo, she is going to describe a little bit about what she's going to present at Symposium, which is a whole deep dive talk about the importance of research. But I want to hear it from her because it's fascinating. And I really think you're going to pull some pearls, gems, some real wisdom out of what she's going to share on how important research is, not only just in our field and advancing medicine and our medicine, but you, the success of your practice as a practitioner. So with that, welcome, Bo. It's so great to see you. Well, hi, Dr. Easton. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Um, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk about uh, what I will be uh, presenting at the Pacific College Symposium uh, this year, 2021. Uh, yeah, my passion for really the last eight years has been in the field of what we would generally call evidence-based medicine, but we in the complementary and integrative therapies call it evidence-informed practice, uh, meaning that we know there's a lot more than just scientific evidence that goes into deciding how to treat a patient. So um, Pacific College was fortunate uh, to receive an NIH grant uh, in partnership with Albert Einstein College of Medicine, where I'm also on the faculty in 2013 with the aim of training faculty and developing curriculum and evidence-informed practice. And I was very fortunate to work closely with the department chairs at Pacific College New York and several uh, interested faculty in uh, driving this whole project. And it actually uh, wound up being um, popular with the faculty and I got a lot of support and you know, it really was key to the success of it. So what we really learned through that project was, and this is something that I think acupuncturists already know in their own hearts, is that the research has a lot of issues. The scientific research, the clinical trials that have been done on acupuncture primarily have a lot of issues which render the outcomes as not really being that helpful to informing the clinical practice uh, for acupuncturists. And you know, fundamentally, one could ask the question, why would I, who spent many years training to be a licensed acupuncturist, based on thousands and thousands of years of collective clinical experience of the profession, suddenly think that it was a good idea to base my uh, approach to patient care on scientific studies within the scientific paradigm, which has only been around for a couple of hundred years. Uh, and of course, the body of research is relatively speaking quite small. And often uh, the protocols that are used in scientific studies are um, generic, same protocol for every patient. There's dosage issues. A lot of them have used placebos controls, which we now know are therapeutically beneficial. No surprise to anybody who's trained in our field. So this is you know, an issue that I'm very uh, sympathetic and aligned to. And I think uh, 
a lot of the focus in our project has been acknowledging that and I'm actively now working towards disseminating that in the mainstream scientific literature for other people to better understand that information sources, when we're talking about ancient practices like Chinese medicine, need to be interpreted in a much, much broader um, scope. Uh, so one of the ways that I found was really helpful for my students and the faculty was to acknowledge that whilst the, there are significant limitations in applying research to clinical practice, there are other ways that uh, acupuncturists can use the research very strategically to grow their practice and to engage patients. So um, because we live in an evidence-based world, biomedicine is very evidence-based medicine focused. And so we, you know, we want to acknowledge and be respectful of that. And so when we're developing relationships with other providers that might refer patients to us when we're giving practice building talks, it can be really useful to present the research because it provides validation of the effectiveness and usefulness of what we do within a paradigm that practitioners in other fields of healthcare can immediately engage with and feel comfortable that when they refer a patient, there is evidence that verifies that this is effective and also, of course, very importantly, safe. So being familiar with the research and being able to roll it out and talk about it comfortably can be a really strong practice building tool and also help us to integrate with biomedicine. And I know that's in and of itself very complicated in terms of how we want to do that. And I know there's a you know, broad spectrum of different sentiments and perspectives on that, especially around the issue of insurance reimbursement. So that you know, is a double-edged sword, as we all know. But if we are on board with the idea that that would be good for our profession, then of course, the big driver for insurance coverage is research. So again, um, being familiar with research, being able to leverage that um, when negotiating with insurance companies is another way to help you financially, you know, as a business owner to, to build and, and sustain your practice. The last thing I want to talk about is patient engagement. So, you know, we get a broad spectrum of patients that come into our practices. Some are not in, they came because they don't want to, uh, engage with biomedicine. Others come and they aren't very much engaged with biomedicine. So for patients with whom biomedicine is something that they uh, use and respect, you know, being able to talk about the research might be really important for them. Mm -hmm. And that might be the reason why they continue to see you. Plus, you can also use the research to say, look, you know, the research has shown that really you need to come for 12 treatments. And it's possible that you won't feel a lot of benefit in the five or six first treatments. And I want to reassure you that the research has shown that if you continue with your course of treatment, it is highly likely that you will get benefit. So that's very important because we all know that we have patients who come to us and then for reasons that we never find out, don't book another appointment or cancel follow-up appointments. So this can be another way that you can engage patients to be more compliant and to continue 
you know, seeing you and, you know, obviously, ultimately, we want to help people. So to get the long term benefit. I love it. I, uh, you and I both taught, I still teach in the doctoral program for Pacific College. And when we talk in my course, Pacific or practice based learning, specifically about evidence informed practice, I share with the students, Chinese medicine has been using evidence based medicine and evidence informed practice since inception through the use of empirical points, right? The whole idea of an empirical point is that it was proven. Every time you use this point, you get the same result or at least 95% or more of the time you get the same result. So we're kind of all see, speaking the same language is just doing the translation of it and letting them know that and sharing that with patients. A lot of times I'll tell a patient, hey, in ancient texts, when we studied Chinese medicine, we were told to give acupuncture daily for 20 days. That's not possible. So if I can see you once a week for 12 weeks, I think we're going to get somewhere. And so it's kind of like all saying the same thing real quick. I'm going to do a tangent. I'm, I want to, I'd love to do a quick tangent. You have your PhD in molecular biology. So when we're talking about research, you're, you know what you're talking about. Can you share a little bit about that? journey and some of the research you did getting your PhD in molecular biology? Yeah, well, you know, it is unusual that I started off in basic science and ended up in Chinese medicine. However, there are a few other uh, people like me um, in, the, in, the, in the country and they're, you know, contributing significantly to the research effort like Rick Harris and Vitaly Napado. Um, I, I think I don't know about Rick and Vitaly, but for me, in my early days as a scientist, you know, there were a couple of things related to each other that bothered me. The one was that, that science thinks it kind of has a license on being able to tell you what the truth is. And we all know that science works within its own paradigm and it, that just can't be true. So that kind of bothered me right from the beginning. And I started to look outside of science and became interested in things that challenged the scientific paradigm. And, you know, acupuncture is a really good one um, because so much of what has occurred in acupuncture research has opened up whole new perspectives on how the body functions. And so it's been a real catalyst for science to change. Um, I, I, in fact, think it's the perfect marriage. You know, molecular biology um, really zooms in on the, you know, right down to the level of molecules, uh, tiny chemical reactions. Um, and it's so easy in that reductionist paradigm to kind of lose track of the fact, the whole, wait a second, this person, you know, has emotions, they work in different environments, they're eating certain types of foods, and, and you need that big picture. So Chinese medicine gives us that, that holistic perspective on things. The, the tricky part is we need to uh, really get the integration piece, you know, to be uh, much more functional. And I, I, then of course, that's very challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you are absolutely the perfect person to be working on this grant. I know we talked a little bit about it before the podcast, but the grant, you got the grant from NIH in 2013, and you were first looking at student patient relationship in the study of Chinese medicine and research. 
And now you were sharing with me, it's kind of morphed a little bit with COVID, you got some extensions. So this originally five-year grant has still extended past eight years. And now you're researching almost like around telehealth with COVID. Can you tell a little bit more about the grant? Because I think it's super interesting. Yeah, well, you know, as I mentioned before, the, the primary focus of the grant was to train faculty and develop curriculum and evidence-informed practice. And we successfully undertook that. And, you know, really, I have to acknowledge the enormous input of the chairs and the, um, some of the key faculty on the New York campus and really generally all the faculty really got on board and made this happen, as well as Stacey Gomes, who, you know, the Vice President of Academic Affairs. So we published five papers describing all of the different aspects of that. But at the end of the day, uh, Chinese medicine, like so many other uh, biomedical professions, you can uh, teach people about, you know, um, research and how to find it, how to understand it, critique it, and, and theoretically apply it to clinical practice, but getting people to actually do that, the behavior change piece, is um, very challenging. And in all uh, healthcare professions, that hasn't been very successful. It's the implementation piece. So at the end of uh, the, the grant, I was very keen to study that. And I wanted to study it in the Pacific College Clinic. So we did all this work. How much of an impact did it really have when students and faculty were working with patients in the clinic? Unfortunately, right at that point, the pandemic hit. And I, like so many other, like all of us, had to pivot and come up with a different approach. And so I saw the pandemic as a golden opportunity to look at how well, it started off as my own colleagues in New York City were really going above and beyond to try and help uh, patients that were reaching out to them that had um, contracted COVID. And of course, we know that a lot of um, treatment for COVID patients was going on in China using Chinese herbal medicine. And that, of course, was, um, you know, very um, compatible with telehealth. So I knew a lot of my New York colleagues were doing exactly this, and, and this was a new disease. So I thought, wow, you know, this is an ideal opportunity to ask the questions, how did you know what to do? What information sources did you use? And we know that there was a lot of information coming both formally, you know, through people like John Chen from China, but also informally people reaching out to contacts that they knew in China and getting inside information. And then slowly over time, there was continuing education. And then finally, there were scientific studies, clinical trials and systematic reviews. So we designed a survey to try and capture how um, clinicians all over the US decided, you know, what was that decision-making process? What information sources did they tap into? And we also did uh, in-depth interviews uh, with several clinicians to, to really flesh that out a little bit more. Uh, the plan we have now is uh, to work with the clinicians at this Seattle Institute of East Asian Medicine, who through their student clinic have done a case study based uh, research study and we're going to talk with those clinicians, with their experts and scholars, to ask them kind of similar questions. Um, so we're going at it from a number of different angles. And it's actually been not just exciting, but 
very gratifying because so many of the uh, clinicians that we've reached out to were so grateful that we were doing this study um, because they have been doing these heroic efforts to help people. And I think they were just thrilled that some that people were really interested in studying this and documenting it um, for, for, for the history of our profession. I love it. So you published five papers on the previous research. Right. Have you published anything on this more recent research with treating? Oh, yeah, not yet. This is kind of hot off the press. Um, in fact, we've just closed the survey and uh, we've interviewed 13 uh, practitioners and we've just um, got IRB approval for the focus group questions for the Seattle Institute folks. So we're, we haven't even analyzed our data yet. But you will. So it sounds like, oh, well, yeah. this is like a sneak peek. Everybody listening is getting yes, like it's, hot it's off like the press news. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm very passionate about this research is it, what related to what I said at the beginning is that we really need to get this information into the scientific literature that, you know, when you're dealing with a discipline that's thousands and thousands of years old, there are a variety of different information sources. And when something comes along like a pandemic, it's not like you can reach back to any scientific studies. Yeah. And this is why Chinese herbal medicine was so successful, because we had a huge body of evidence from previous pandemics or just other similar conditions that enable practitioners to immediately know what to do. And it was very effective, much more effective than the biomedical approaches. So awesome. Uh, when you have the research ready to publish, where do you think you will publish the results? Well, I always try to get it into mainstream biomedical journals, and that in and of itself is a challenge. There's still a stigma associated with complementary and you know what we used to call alternative medicine. Um, but it's always worth trying to do that because then you are actually going to get that message out to you know biomedical and other types of healthcare practitioners. So you know we'll be looking at those possibilities. Um, the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine is you know a very reliable and well-respected journal. Um, some of it, you know, the Lantern is just done a fantastic job in providing information to uh, uh, clinicians in our field. So, you know, that, that would be another consideration to disseminate through that mechanism. Absolutely. Did you, the, the previous papers, where were those published? Um, they were published, well, actually, most of them were published in uh, complementary and integrative health type journals like Explore, the Journal of uh, Science and Healing. We had several papers in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine, but I'm really pleased to say that the final paper, which was all the data on how effective our evidence-informed practice three-credit course was, we actually published that in BMC uh, Medical Education, which That's I awesome. thought it was kind of a coup because you know, that's a pretty high-end journal. And I was thrilled that they were interested to, to publish our material. Wow, congratulations on that. I, I, I hear you on the pain of that. I did a clinical trial in 2012 on the efficacy of incorporating aromatherapy into practice. Boy, holding a clinical trial 
is very challenging. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's all the many things that you hear about when you're learning about running one. And then the reality is yes, and then some. But uh, I remember I submitted my findings and it took literally one year before it was published yeah. from the date that I sent it to them. And I submitted it to, um, it used to be called Meridians and now they're called oh, yeah. the Journal of American Society of Acupuncturists. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I, I first wanna say thank you for everything you're doing for our profession. I don't think practitioners realize all the work that goes into publishing results or everything that you're doing. They might not, I'm sure they don't realize the impact it has on their practices, their ability to practice in the United States, insurance companies reimbursing for the many things that we offer in our practice and getting more payments for those things. I mean, just everything you're doing is trailblazing, is pioneering. And from my heart, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate it and how grateful I am because what you're doing is creating a space where we can do what we love to do, which is practice our medicine. Yeah, well, well thank you very much, um, Easter. But I do want to say that it's a synergistic relationship. I mean, I'm extremely grateful to all those practitioners out there who have uh, given their time and financial resources to get trained and start their own practice. It's a very difficult career path. And what really was the catalyst for the NIH to start funding research was consumer demand. So had we not had all of these people being willing to take that career path and provide Chinese medicine, we wouldn't have had the data that consumers are out there, they want this. And then I, you know, the government, the NIH, felt an obligation to start funding research into effectiveness and safety. So it's very synergistic, you know, it's, yeah, we, we perform a service for each other. We do, we do. Let's uh, make sure everybody knows if they are to come, and I hope they will, to your symposium workshop. It's a three hour workshop. The title is Overview of East Asian Medicine, Medical Research and its Impact Upon Your Practice. What are some of the major takeaways that they'll get for attending your workshop at symposium, which is coming up? It's coming up. Yeah, um, uh, I think that what could be really useful is to get an overview of, you know, what is the research doing? You know, we've uh, focused on evidence-informed practice, but of course, you know, I've been engaged with clinical research and that has been very important. And I want to talk about, you know, the critical aspects of that in terms of the scope, so many different conditions that have clinical evidence to support effectiveness and the challenges and how uh, practitioners can respond to questions like, but is an acupuncture all just a placebo? So I love to be able to give acupuncturists those, the elevator speech of how to respond to that question. The other question that practitioners commonly get is how does it work? So also giving people tools to be able to respond to that, you know, quickly. Um, I always joke around and say, you know, that's the question you get when you put all the needles in and your hands on the door about to leave the room and the patient says, exactly how does this work? 
So, you know, sometimes you do need a quick kind of response to that. So I want to cover overview, what are the different categories of research that's being done, and then talk about what I've been uh, focusing on in this podcast, which is how can you use the research and uh, what are the strategies? And also then I'd like to talk a little bit, you know, about uh, COVID and the impact of our medicine and the efforts that are going on around the country to disseminate that and the impact that I think that that could have. I love it. I love it. And giving people some language to use with their patients and also other practitioners, there is so much more collaboration taking place today than when I graduated in 1999. In 1999, most of us just went off and created little silos for ourselves with a private practice, but now there's so much collaboration. And in that collaboration, like you know better than anybody by teaching the practice-informed, no, um, evidence-informed practice courses for the doctoral program, it's really important to be able to speak a language, uh, a neutral language with other healthcare practitioners, whether they're Western or also alternative, but you're so good at that. And I think they're going to get that language from you. A lot of times we're kind of at a loss for words. How do I say this, articulate it so that I gain the respect or even just educate another practitioner or another patient, prospective patient quickly because- right everybody's kind of short attention span theater these days. So we have to be able to articulate ourselves quick enough so that we don't lose their interest and we grab their attention. And um, I, I'm so excited that you're doing this workshop. Yeah, well, thank you very much, East. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about that and to share some about what I've been doing lately. And you're still, are you still working with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine? You're on the faculty there, correct? Yeah, so um, uh, as many people are aware, I stepped down as the academic dean at Pacific College in New York in 2018. I had a short stint at Monmouth University and I'm now at Pace University as the associate dean for allied health programs right across the road from Pacific College, New York, which is, you know, I'm thrilled about. I'm still on the faculty at Pacific College. I'm a research professor, and I'm also um, an associate clinical professor at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. So one of my roles at Pacific College is to uh, manage the student exchange program between Pacific College, New York, and Einstein. Uh, that involves Einstein students shadowing our students uh, in the college clinic and seeing how Chinese medicine is really practiced. And Pacific College students go up and participate in a cadaver uh, lab dissection. And they can take their acupuncture needles and really you know, get a sort of 3D perspective on the anatomy. Um, so yeah, I've got a, you know, a few different roles to play. I also think there's some possibilities of collaboration between PACE and Pacific College New York, which I'm hoping to explore when you know, we're all kind of more in the office. Yeah, oh, I love that. I love that. I know uh, I was fortunate enough to have a cadaver lab when I was finishing up my master's in Chinese medicine with uh, Matt Callison actually. And I also, as a um, supervisor in the clinic at Pacific College San Diego campus, we have an exchange with UCSD Medical School. And I loved when the UCSD medical students would come in and 
I would say at least 90% of the time, they were so excited to be there. Their eyes were huge and opened yeah. and just so accepting of our medicine and wanting to learn. And it's so cool. I think it's just so cool to see the two worlds work together and learn from each other. And I just love that you're doing that program. That's amazing. Yes, yes. I think, um, you know, I have a lot of hope for the next generation or the younger younger people coming into healthcare professions. They have a different perspective. Like so many things, they don't discriminate like, you know, what we've been challenged with. I think they see seeing an acupuncturist in the same light as they would seeing a primary care physician. So it's very refreshing. But um, the Pacific College students just love the cadaver. It's really interesting because I go up with them every year. We've been doing this for like 14 years. And I sit in the room and mind all of their stuff, their bags and stuff and work away. And then they're in the cadaver lab and then they come back and they're just so like overflowing with, so that was so amazing. Like, thank you so much. And yeah, it's life-changing for them, you know, as a clinician. Yeah, so it's, it's very uh, gratifying doing that. So it's life-changing for them to do a Western medicine cadaver lab. It's life-changing for the Western medical students because it, it like widens their awareness on the body, the body's ability to heal itself, different paradigms and approaches to healing. So I just, these programs, love them, love them. So happy that they're continuing. People can ask you about that at symposium. They can also, you, you um, allowed me to share your email. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, it's B, Anderson to the number two at pace.edu. You can contact uh, Dr. Anderson there. You can come see her at symposium. And what else? I, I, I know you have so many things you're working on. Uh, are there other things that are up your sleeve or you're at the moment of deciding where you're going to take yourself next? Yeah, you know, I, I've been one year in my position at PACE and, uh, you know, my intention in 2018 when I stepped down as the academic dean at Pacific College was to move into mainstream healthcare because I feel that it's important for people, you know, that have been trained in something like Chinese medicine to actually get into mainstream healthcare, build those relationships, you know, for people to see that we're not oddballs. Um, it's also been really interesting to see the education of uh, mainstream healthcare uh, disciplines, and the PACE has a lot of them. And so I oversee uh, physician assistant, occupational therapy, nutrition and dietetics, um, communication and speech disorders. We're developing a program in health informatics, and we're developing a program, uh, an MPH. Um, just looking at the different approaches, the different accreditation systems, um, and I'm teaching myself the research courses in the nutrition program and also the occupational therapy. Um, I'm letting all of that kind of permeate, and that I think will lead to a new direction of focus for me. But right now, I feel very much kind of in transition in terms of thinking about what I want to focus on going forward. But it's, you know, I've always been interested in the integration piece, like the, the interplay between different disciplines, between biomedicine and Chinese medicine. You know, that, that sort of very gray, 
difficult to define zone is really, you know, where my interest lies. I love it. I love it. And, and it's serving such a bigger purpose because the result will be more access for the many people to our medicine and ability for both medicines to work well together, uh, to collaborate, because when they're joined, when they, when they are combined and you offer both East Asian yeah. medicine, Western medicine, the patient has the best treatment. That, that right. is the best yeah. possible um, approach for the patient. So that being said, anybody that really is interested, feels a draw, a passion for research, the integration between different healthcare modalities and disciplines, um, guess what? Contact Dr. Anderson because it's going to take a team. She can't do this all on her own. And what I share with a lot of practitioners that come to me and say, you know, Ease, I went to school, I got my master's and now my doctorate in Chinese medicine. And I, I really just don't enjoy private practice, but I don't know what to do with myself. There is so much for us to do in healthcare in general. It can be private practice. It can be in research. It can be in integration. It can be in collaboration, uh, education, course design, all the like. So if you feel pulled, anybody listening, tuning in, if you're feeling pulled towards the topics we've discussed, I think contact Dr. Anderson because she's the leader. She is the thought leader and the influencer in this lane, in this field. And this has been amazing. I, Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. And I hope to see you soon, October 28th symposium for your workshop. It's gonna be awesome. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to it. My only, uh, the only downside is we won't be in person. And I'm very much looking forward to probably 2023 when we can all be back in San Diego at such, you know, such an awesome time during the symposium. Yeah. Yep, and you and I will go outside and sit by the, the ocean and uh, and catch up. Yes, I would look forward. I would to love that. that. Yeah. All right. All right, Bo. Thank you so much. Great to. Yeah, see my you. pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Have a great rest of your day. Yes. You too. Bye. Bye.